The Three Books of Bamidbar by Rav Yair Khan Two psukim in Parashat Baha'alotcha are bracketed in the Torah by upside-down nuns. And when the ark traveled, by he bin Soah Aaron, Moshe said, Arise, Hashem, and disperse your enemies, and those that hate you shall flee from before you. And when it came to rest, he would say, Return, Hashem, the myriads of the thousands of Israel." Our sages debated the meaning of these brackets surrounding the section. The Holy One, blessed be He, placed markers before and after the parasha of Vayihi bin Sa'ah Aaron, Vayomer Moshe, to indicate that this is not its proper place. Rebbe said, That is not the reason for the markers, but rather they indicate that this section is considered an independent sefer. Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachman, in the name of Rabbi Yonatan, expounded on the verse, She hewed seven pillars. This refers to the seven books of the Torah. Who does this exposition follow? It follows Rebbe, who held that Bamibar really constitutes three books. According to Rebbe, the parasha of Vayihi bin Saw is the dividing point of Sefer Bamibar. In fact, Rebbe goes even further, considering the sections of Bamibar before and after this parasha as distinct books. A quick overview of Bamibar is sufficient to reveal the sharp contrast that underlies Rebbe's position. The Sefer begins with the establishment of Machane Yisrael in preparation for their journey to Canaan. In the opening section, these preparations proceed without any problems. The structure of the community is developed, along with its various subdivisions. Social and religious leaders are selected and awarded their respective roles. The individuals, with their singular characteristics, are interwoven into the communal fabric. The interaction between the various institutions is defined. At the beginning of our parasha, we find a ripe nation with a carefully developed social structure, seemingly ready to play their role in the unfolding of Jewish destiny. Final marching instructions are issued, and the campaign begins. In the second year, on the twentieth day of the second month, the cloud lifted from the tabernacle of the pact, and Bnei Yisrael set out on their journeys from the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud came to rest in the wilderness of Paran. The Torah describes in detail the impressive coordination as the entire Machaneh begins to march in perfect harmony. The tribes, guided by their leaders, unite to march together under predetermined banners. Each banner, which consists of three tribes, assumes its rightful position. The dismantling and reconstruction of the Mishkan is attended to by the Levi'im, who blend in and join the march, as the entire nation, led by the Almighty, begins its dramatic journey through the wilderness on the way to the Promised Land. At this point, a dialogue takes place between Moshe and his father-in-law, which is both fascinating and revealing. Moshe said to Chovav, son of Reuel the Midianite, Moshe's father-in-law, We are setting out for the place of which Hashem has said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will be generous with you, for Hashem has promised to be generous to Israel. I will not go, he replied to him, but will return to my native land. He said, Please do not leave us inasmuch as you know where we should camp in the wilderness and can be our guide. So if you come with us, we will extend to you the same bounty that Hashem grants us. Moshe tries to convince his father-in-law to join Bnei Israel on their monumental journey. It is clear from his comments that Moshe considered the arrival in Eretz Israel to be imminent. In fact, we are told that the border of Eretz Israel is a mere 11-day march from Sinai. It is 11 days from Chorev to Kadesh Barnea, by the Mount Seir route. However, more significant is the multiple use of the term tov, 
repeated in various forms five times in these few sentences. It seems clear that Moshe was referring to something other than the inheritance of the land of Israel, which is mentioned explicitly. Tov appears to be a veiled reference to something else. What was Moshe hinting at, and why couldn't it be mentioned explicitly? Rab Salvechik Zatzal interpreted this term as an eschatological reference. Accordingly, Moshe believed that if he would succeed in bringing Bnei Israel into the land of Israel, Jewish destiny would be realized. A mere 11-day march separated Bnei Israel from the Messianic age. We reach the section of Ayyibin Saw after the people successfully complete the first leg of their journey. They marched from the mountain of Hashem a distance of three days. The Ark of the Covenant of Hashem traveled in front of them on that three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And Hashem's cloud kept above them by day as they moved on from camp. Until this point, everything has proceeded according to schedule. All the instructions preparing Bnei Israel for their monumentous campaign were fulfilled with precision. Everything is ready to begin the march. The excitement and tension reach a crescendo as the journey towards the fulfillment of Jewish destiny begins. The inheritance of Eretz Yisrael and redemption of the Jewish people seem almost inevitable. There is a sense of excitement and urgency as the first segment of Sefer Bamibar abruptly ends. Following the parashah by Hibin Saw, we witness a dramatic shift as the Machaneh begins to malfunction. The people took to complaining bitterly before Hashem. Hashem heard and was incensed. A fire of Hashem broke out against them, ravaging the outskirts of the camp. Some commentators explain that this refers to the failure of the fringe groups among the general population. We read in Yalkut Shimoni, Ravaging the outskirts of the camp, this refers to the foreigners who were located at the fringes of the camp. However, others understand that it includes errors of the leadership as well. Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya explained, Ravaging the outskirts, Kitsei, of the camp, this refers to the leaders, Ktsinim, among them the great ones among them. This episode is followed by a more serious event. The riffraff in their midst felt a gluttonous craving, and then Bnei Israel joined and wept, and said, Who will feed us meat? Once again, the problem is initiated by groups on the periphery. However, this time it quickly spreads to the very heart of the camp. Furthermore, the crisis of leadership deepens as well, as Moshe considers himself incompetent to deal with the challenge. And Moshe said to Hashem, Why have you dealt ill with your servant, and why have I not enjoyed your favor, that you have laid the burden of all this people upon me? Did I conceive this people? Did I bear them? That you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries an infant, to the land that you have promised an oath to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people, when they whine before me and say, Give us meat to eat? I cannot carry all this people by myself, for it is too much for me. If you would deal thus with me, kill me rather, I beg you, and let me see no more of my wretchedness. Eventually, the needs of the people are attended to. However, the leadership has to be restructured. Moreover, Moshe's esteem has been tarnished and his position undermined. The precariousness of Moshe's position is expressed in the strange and almost hysterical reaction to the public prophecy of Eldad and Medad. Two men, one named Eldad and the other Medad, had remained in camp, yet the Spirit rested upon them. They were among those recorded, but they had not gone out to the tent, and they prophesied in the camp. A youth ran out and told Moshe, saying, 
Eldad and Medad are acting the prophet in the camp. And Yoshua, son of Nun, Moshe's attendant from his youth, spoke up and said, My lord Moshe, restrain them. It would appear that the following episode, in which Miriam and Aharon challenge Moshe's behavior regarding his wife, not only reflect a further deterioration, as both Aharon and Miriam falter, but is also a further expression of Moshe's tarnished image. Their argument, Has Hashem spoken only through Moshe? Has He not spoken through us as well? is a direct result of Eldad and Medad's public prophecy. God's reaction is a reflection of the need to reaffirm the singularity and uniqueness of Moshe as a prophet. And he said, Hear these my words. When a prophet of Hashem rises among you, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moshe. He is trusted throughout my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, plainly and not in riddles and he beholds the likeness of Hashem. How then did you not shrink from speaking against my servant Moshe? Thus, following the parasha of Vayihi bin Sa'a, there is a steady decline. The institutions that have been established begin to malfunction. The communal fabric that had been woven together so carefully starts unraveling. Moreover, the entire mood of the people has changed. After traveling the initial three-day journey, the children of Israel are a mere eight-day march from the Promised Land. However, the request for meat results in a month's delay. You shall eat not one day, not two, not even five days or ten or twenty, but a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Aharon and Miriam's challenge to Moshe results in an additional seven-day delay. The sense of impending redemption that had existed prior to Vayibin Sa'a has dissipated, the tension and excitement has been replaced as Bnei Israel camp in the wilderness of Paran on Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, 40 days before Tisha B'Av, and the dramatic events which will change the course of Jewish history, the report of the spies and the people's rejection of the land of Israel. The parasha of Vayihi bin Sa'a is the point of transition between the flawless beginning of the journey and the subsequent difficulties and delays that eventually lead to the incident of the spies. It is the shift from the initial journey of the harmonious Machaneh and eventual tensions that cause the Machaneh to begin to come apart at the seams. There is no doubt that the Vayihi bin Sa'a passage is a significant point in the flow of Sefer Bamibar. However, does this justify breaking the Sefer into distinct books? Things began in a promising fashion and subsequently went sour, but isn't it all one unified story? Shouldn't it all be included in one Sefer? In order to solve this problem, we must consider another difficulty with Rebbe's opinion. According to Rebbe, the parasha of Vayibin Sa'a is itself awarded independent status and considered a separate book. What is so significant about this parasha? Why is it singled out and awarded such prominence? In my opinion, even according to Rebbe, there are two, not three, versions of Sefer Bamidbar, that which precedes Vayibin Sa'a and that which follows it. The parasha of Vayihibin Sa'a is not to be perceived as an independent section of Sefer Bamibar. Rather, it should be viewed in light of Sefer Dvarim. After all, Sefer Dvarim is comprised mainly of the sermons Moshe Rabbeinu delivered on the shores of the Ardennes, whose aim was to ensure that Bnei Israel successfully inherit the Promised Land, and that they behave in a manner that will allow them to remain there. Dvarim begins, These are the words that Moshe addressed to all Yisrael. The book we call Sefer Dvarim responds to the situation that developed after Vayihi bin Sa'a. Moshe addressed himself to a new generation that would enter Eretz Yisrael without him, following the divine decree that the generation of the Exodus would die in the desert, 
and that Moshe himself would not enter the land of Israel. Sefer Tvarim, as it is written, flows from the tragic events of Sefer Bamibar recorded after Vayihi bin Sa'a. The parasha of Vayihi bin Sa'a, in contrast, is the ideal version of Sefer Tvarim, which conforms to the ideal model of Bamibar described prior to Vayihi bin Sa'a. Had the entire nation consummated their momentous march toward the realization of their destiny in the coordinated and harmonious fashion described before Vayihi bin Sa'a, with Moshe Rabbeinu at their head and the Shekhinah in their midst, all that Moshe would have had to say was two short sentences. And when the ark traveled, Moshe said, Arise, Hashem, and disperse your enemies, and those that hate you shall flee from before you. And when it came to rest, he would say, Return, Hashem, the myriads of the thousands of Israel. In other words, the section preceding by Bin Sa'a is not the first stage of Bamidbar, but the first version. It describes the ideal Machaneh in their triumphant march toward the realization of Jewish destiny. The section following Vayihi bin Sa'a records a separate version, the failed attempt at implementation. These two sections describe two separate stories, and therefore, according to Rebbe, they are independent books. Chumash HaPikudim describes the geographical and spiritual journey from Sinai to the border of Eretz Yisrael. The first section of Bamidbar is a completely independent book, insofar as it describes the ideal model of this journey, which was completed in the hearts of the people, but came to a screeching halt before they reached their geographical destination. The latter version of Bamidbar details the actual historic journey, which began with the failure of the first generation, but was eventually completed by their children. Vayihi bin Sa'a is the ideal Sefer of Divrei Moshe, which couples with the ideal Bamidbar. What we call Sefer Dvarim is the Sefer of Divrei Moshe, that were necessary following the 40 years in the wilderness recorded after Vayihi bin Sa'a. According to Rebbe, why did the Torah focus on the ideal Bamidbar and Dvarim if these ideals were never realized? We can similarly ask why we celebrate Shavuot. After all, the first Luchot were eventually destroyed after the Chet Egel. Wouldn't it be more appropriate to celebrate Yom Kippur as the day that Yisrael received the second Luchot? Why do we commemorate the initial attempt which ultimately failed? These questions would be irresolvable if we would view the Torah merely as documentation of past events. Historically, the first Luchot were destroyed, and new Luchot had to be given. When Moshe didn't return, the people gave in to human insecurities and fears. However, this does not undermine the meta-historical significance of Ma'amad Har Sinai, when the essential inner will of the nation expressed itself as they proclaimed, Na'aseh Nishma, we will do and we will listen. Historically, the initial drive was never consummated, and therefore it seems to have no significance. However, the Torah is not a history book, and therefore it is not necessarily bound by historical criteria. From the Torah's perspective, the ideal Bamidbar contains a truth that transcends the events that actually occurred. The ideal Bamidbar does exist, even though it has yet to take place. It was merely prevented on a practical level by certain human frailties and local conditions, However, it contains a profound truth about the essence of Am Yisrael, their relationship to God, and the fulfillment of their destiny. It is this truth which is the source of our paradoxical yet undying faith in the redemptive process, as we continue to believe that a time will come when this ideal will become reality.